Would you give Josh and the band a hand for a great job? Back, oh, this was several, several years ago. I was still pastoring in Texas. I was taking a group of men through a, a year and a half long discipleship program, and we did it on Sunday afternoons, and we'd just begun. And these guys were older, but they were relatively young Christians, and they hadn't read their Bible a lot. So the first thing we did was we read through the book of Proverbs. We'd read a chapter a day. And after the first week, we'd gotten through chapter one, and we came back, and I was asking them, tell me what God said to you, what's your insights here, insights there. And one of them said, man, that Solomon dude talks a lot about sex. And that is absolutely true. When you have 700 wives and 300 concubines, sex is on your mind. Would you agree? And, and we are in Proverbs chapter 5 today, if you have your Bibles, and we're going to talk about sex this morning. When I was growing up, here was the sex sermon. Don't. Amen. Let's go home. That's why we've had a lot of problems, in my opinion, was the ineffectiveness of that. As I tossed around later in this week about changing the sermon due to our city circumstances, I realized regardless of what's happening in the world around us, sex is always on people's mind. Would you agree? It's not like it went away with the tornado. So I think this is a relative subject, uh, a, a relevant subject. We're going to talk about humility next week and arrogance. We're going to talk about character the week after. And then we're going to talk about trusting God and loyalty and love. Uh, all these men, the heartbeat of Proverbs beats these things. And sex is certainly a very important part of that. As we get started, I want to just say this to you. And I think this is real important for you to hear me. We're not trying to kick your past this morning. We're not trying to kick your present this morning. We're not trying to make you feel bad or to shame you. That's not how God works. That's never how I want to work. What we're trying to do this morning is see what God says on the subject and adjust our lives to it. Does that make sense? So we're not trying to kick you for whatever's happened in your past. We're trying to say, hey, moving forward, here's what we need to do, and here's who we need to be. Here's the first thought from this passage. God says sex is for a man and woman in marriage. You know what's funny? 30 years ago, if a preacher said that, everyone would say amen, and no one would question it. That doesn't mean they weren't practicing that completely, but that wasn't even debatable. But now it is hugely debatable. But this is what God says. God says sex is for a man and a woman in marriage. Verses 15 through 18, drink waters from your own cistern, flowing waters from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad? Streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Palestine, where King Solomon lived, where David lived, Jesus lived. Then and today is an arid desert climate. I mean, it is, it's a hot, it does not have much water. Water is scarce. Water back 3,000 years ago would have been much more difficult to come by. So it's precious, and it's going to be very important. He's not, not ultimately talking about water here, but, but his parallel is important. Now, what was a cistern? A cistern was something used to catch rainwater and to store it. It had a narrow top, and then it widened out. The narrow top was to keep the evaporation slowing that process down, and a lot of people had cisterns to gather water. A well, you know what a well is. A well is just a deep place that you can find water. They have found wells that date back to uh, many years before Solomon, I mean, a long time ago. It's interesting, in the Jerusalem area, not long ago, they found 50 cisterns that date to 900 B.C., almost the exact time of King Solomon. Maybe he was thinking about those very cisterns when he 
was saying this. Now, what's he talking about here? He's talking about sex, but he's talking, he's using a parallel about what's very precious. Water's very precious. There were publicly owned wells. There were publicly owned cisterns, but a lot of people had their own wells and their own cisterns. And here's what he's saying. Anybody knows if you got your own well and your own cistern, you guard it and you protect it and you don't let everybody and anybody get in it and drink out of it. And if you got your own water and your own cistern, you're not going down to a public stream to get their water. You protect your water. Water's life. You've got, have, you've got to have water to live and to take care of your animals and take care of your plants. And he's saying, you don't, you got that water in a desert climate. You don't let it spill out in the streets. You're not careless with it. You don't let anybody and everybody come by and drink from it and pollute it. You guard and protect it. And he's saying, if you're married or sex and your spouse is precious, and that you guard it, and you protect it, and you don't let anyone else into that relationship, and you don't let anyone else into that relationship to violate that. In Mark chapter 10, a thousand years later, Jesus was talking about marriage and divorce and remarriage, and and here's what he says, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his wife and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, although they are no longer two, but one flesh. That one flesh concept is more involved than just sex, but it certainly includes sex. And here's what God's saying right off the bat. He's saying, listen, sex is a wonderful thing in the right context. The context is a man and a woman in marriage. Folks, when, when, when two people have sex or sex involved in a computer or whatever, there are neurotransmitters, chemicals released in your brain called oxytocin. It's an attachment chemical. It creates a bond with that person or thing that you are sexually involved with. It's what God meant for marriage. God meant when you're married, man, that, that, that attachment, it grows in a lot of ways. One way it grows is through sex. In the sex act, there is chemicals in your body released. They're, they're like opiates. They're like heroin. It's a pleasure. By the way, God invented this, and he meant it to be good. Do you, do you understand that? Y'all are looking at me like, I can't believe he's saying this in church. I'm plagiarizing, right? I'm stealing this from God. See, God said, man, in... I, I want this, this is precious, like water in the desert, it's precious, and it's got to be maintained, it's got to be maintained between a man and a woman in marriage. In verse 19 and 20, it says, a lovely deer, he's talking about the woman, his wife, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always in her love, why should you be intoxicated, my son, with the forbidden woman, and embrace the bosom of an adulteress. Okay, God says sex is between a man and a woman in marriage. So there's certain things that are out of bounds. What would be out of bounds? Adultery. He just mentioned that. What's adultery? Adultery, by simple definition, is a married person having sex with someone they're not married. And, and I'm going to let your parents explain this to you later or someone else, but sex is a lot more than just intercourse, okay? I want enough said. So don't hide behind some excuse. Well, it's not sex. How many of you men would agree if your wife came home and said, I kissed four men at work today and it wasn't sex, would you be upset? Would you be upset? Come on. I would. I'd be looking for somebody, wouldn't you? In Jesus' name, I'd be looking for him, right? <laughs> and you'd be grounded. 
No cell phone, no iPad, you're grounded. Adultery is wrong. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Now, guys, you need to learn this passage. Flee from sexual immorality. That phrase sexual immorality is one word in the New Testament language, and it's pornea. We get our English word what from pornea? Pornography. Now, man, this is really, really important because I've had people call me before and go, hey, we're, we're not married, but we really like each other, so it's okay, right? The Bible doesn't address that. No, it, the sexual immorality there means adultery. It means fornication. What is fornication? Fornication is people having sex who aren't married, whether that's 14 or whether that's 84 at the nursing home tonight, God forbid. And it does happen. That is fornication, okay? It also includes homosexuality in that. December the 12th, 2012, or it was December 9th, 2012. It was December 9th or 12th. In First Baptist Church of Seattle, Washington, 25 gay couples were married in that church that morning. I, I understand where the world's going, but I'm just telling you what God says, what God's standards are. So you, you, I don't want you mad at me this morning. I want you mad at God. All I am is, is, is sharing you his thoughts on that. This includes pornography. Pornography is sinful. It's part of that Sexual immorality and pornography is a major league problem. 20% of Christians surveyed not long ago, 20%, one out of five Christians said, hey, it's okay to view pornography. That's not sin. It's sexual immorality. It absolutely is sin. Listen, God says sex is a wonderful thing, but sex has a very particular, peculiar context between a man and a woman in marriage. Here's the second thing. You married people, you who are going to get married, sex and marriage should be great. It should be great. I'm telling you, I never heard that in church. Again, all I heard was don't and then don't talk about it. (laughs) Very effective with the generations that have grown up. Amen. (laughs) Sex and marriage ought to be great. Look in verse 18 and 19. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated with her love. The word intoxicated can mean drunk, but it means carried away. It means enraptured. I I can imagine when I was 10 years old, if I would have heard this at church and gone home and even quoted it to my father, Daddy, I'm going to get married and get drunk in love with my wife. He just spanked me, even if I could have quoted Scripture. But here's what he's saying. Listen, and our marriages are so messed up. Part of it is here. You're not married. Get this right on the front end. Merrick, I literally had a guy tell me before I got married, he goes, you need to have a contract with your wife. About what? About sex? Yeah. We didn't do it, but that's, we're good, and I need to shut up. <laughs> but I'm, well, here's what I'm trying to say to you. <laughs> God designed this to be good. God designed this to be good. And that word, the, the end of that passage where it says, be intoxicated always in her, in her love, it literally means in lovemaking. You see, God, God meant sex to be a wonderful thing between a man and a woman in marriage. Yeah, it creates kids if, if you want kids, and, and that's the, the way God ordained that. But intimacy, pleasure, joy, union, all those things are wrapped up. Several years ago, University of Texas 
which is a little more liberal than tech probably, they interviewed, they interviewed students and they say, why should you have sex? What are the reasons to have sex? Can you see how that's never a good survey to have? They came back with 237 reasons to have sex. Wouldn't you like to have gone through that list? But here's what God says. Here's why you should have sex. You're married to the person. You want to have kids? That's, that's the route. But hey, you have sex because that ought to be a great part of your marriage. That's how you develop intimacy that you, you're not supposed to get any place else. That's how you create a bond and love. Listen, sex is supposed to be great in marriage. Now, here's the third thing. This is what you heard growing up, but it's true. Straying from God's standards on sex leads to problems. Straying from God's standards in any area leads to lots of problems. But when you stray sexually, it's going to always get you in trouble. Verse 21 is a verse you ought to learn. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. He ponders all his paths. I learned this years ago, for a man's ways are in full view of the Lord. Now, in, that means everything you and I do, but he's talking about sex here. And I think that's very important. When he, when he begins and he says, for a man's ways, that means his habits. The word paths, for a man's past, God examines our past, is literally the word for wagon tracks. Listen, God is watching how we do life. God sees the habits of our life. God sees the tracks and the patterns that we, we live behind. God's not missing anything. And again, the context of this very clearly was sexual. Look in verse 22 and 23. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him or her. And he is held fast in the cords of his sin. And he dies for a lack of discipline. Because of his great folly, he is led astray. And that's, that's the context of sexual sin. Folks, in Solomon's day, the civic law said if you committed adultery, you know what the penalty was? It was death. The covenant of marriage was broken completely. You didn't go to divorce court. You went to the executioner. In Iran, this may still be true. I know it was true in recent years. If you were caught committing fornication, a hundred lashes, that would keep kids out of the cars and the pastures. Amen? If you were, you're caught committing adultery, even in recent years in Iran, you died for that. That's how serious. Now, I don't think, obviously don't think those things are right, those penalties. But what he's saying here, man, sin gets a grip on you. Sexual sin gets a grip on us like none other. You're having an affair. You start sharing those neurotransmitters of bonding and attachment with someone you're not supposed to be bonded and attached to. You're 14 or you're 80 and you're having sex with someone you aren't married to. You are you are creating a bond you're not intended to happen, and that's one reason breaking up is so terribly painful. You have a bond you're not supposed to have. Homosexuality, the same thing. Pornography, the same thing. Those same neurotransmitters are released when people are participating in pornography. Listen to this. This is staggering. Email me this week, and I'll shoot you where this came from if you are questioning it. But in 2016, 2016, worldwide, we spent 500,000 years viewing pornography. 500,000 years in one year looking at pornography. That's a problem. 
In 1 Corinthians 6, 18, again, it says, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin is outside of your body, but sexual immoral, the immoral person sins against his own body. Man, it, it creates issues. It creates problems mentally and emotionally and physically. If we jump over just one other chapter to chapter 6, verse 27 and 28, it says, I think we're getting to it. Can, and this is talking about sex. Now, this is the context of it. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes and not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? You, what God's saying there is pretty simple. Hey, don't, don't believe me. I, I'm just the spokesman. Don't believe Merrick or Josh or the other ministers when they share these things. Don't, don't believe us. Just believe God. God says, listen, sin in and of itself, you can't play with sin without getting in trouble. And if you're going to stray from God's standard sexually, I know, I know, some of you are way smarter than God and everybody else. I'm going to tell you, it always comes back to get you. It'll always come back and get you. And if we stray from God's standards, there is a price that we pay. Every time, every time. Natural consequences as well as God's disapproval. You know, the best way to avoid a sexually transmitted disease, the best way to avoid an unwanted pregnancy, and it's 100% foolproof every time, is abstinence. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. Wait till you're married. Wait till you're married to your husband or wife. So I want to I bring it together with a couple of thoughts on this. What do we do? How do we, how do we face this? How do, we, how do we deal, besides the old preacher idea of just telling you don't and it's bad and you shouldn't do it, how do we handle sexual sin? I want to I touch on this because I think this is very important. First of all, this applies to every one of us. We are all broken. Every one of us is broken and sinful. Raise your hand if you agree. You are broken and sinful. You are. And I heard a, I heard a preacher say this back several months ago. And I thought this was profound. He said, all of us are broken sexually too. Wow. You see, it's easy to, to find that person that you think is bizarre or that person who's out there. Oh, man, they are immoral. But all of us are broken and all of us have our sexual problems too. And it's just a matter of whether you're going to let God or the devil win in your life. You have a choice in that. So let me give you some, some biblical thoughts on what do we do. Number one, know and choose to play by God's rules. You've got to know what God says first, and then you have to decide to play by God's rules. Verse 15, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Stick to your wife or your husband is what he's saying. I don't have a wife or husband. Then keep your nose clean until you get a wife or a husband. Hey, here, here's what you got to decide. Am I going to let Hollywood, am I going to let some politician who's saying whatever to get elected, am I going to let them determine what I believe about sex and how I behave? Am I going to let the, um, the movies or what's popular or what, what some poll says is, is the, the right thing to do, or am I going to choose God's way? No, mom and dads, you gotta, you got to pour this into your kids. You, you can't bring your kid to church occasionally and, and then be mad when they're 25 at us because they're a sexual deviant. You, you can't. You need to get them to church as much as you can, and we're going to 
try to dump as much of God into them as we can, and you need to be pouring God all over them all of the time. They need to hear the same stuff at home to help them know God's way, and then you choose to do things the way that God has laid out. A lot of people will say this, man, I just want to be satisfied, and this satisfies me. This is who I am. Psalms 37.4 is such a wonderful verse. Listen to what it says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I'm telling you, all the sex in the world, same-sex Fornication, what pornography, that is not going to meet the deep need of your heart. But chasing Jesus Christ will. And I want to tell you this too. I think this is worth sticking in your head or writing it down on paper. If everyone in the world says something's right and God says it's wrong, stick with God every time. If everybody in the world says it's right and God says it's wrong, stick with God every time. Here's the second thing. Stay humble. Stay humble. We're going to talk about humility next week. The mother of all virtues. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, So that you you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. Here's the greatest mistake, one of the greatest mistakes you can make sexually. I would never do that. That would never happen to me. Well, I can't believe they would do that. Man, when you, when you have that attitude, you are drawing a bullseye on your back for the devil. Stay humble. Yes, it can happen to you. It can happen to you. Number three, guard your heart closely. Guard your heart closely. Beautiful verse we looked at in January, Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart, your mind, your will, your thoughts with all diligence, for from it flows the spring of life. Everything in you comes out of your mind and your will and in, in, in here. Moms and dads, husband and wives, help your spouse, help your kids guard it too. But it starts here. Years ago, I had a guy in one of my churches got saved. Wonderful guy. He was not a kind of a guy you would not like working on electricity or anything like that. I mean, he... He was not a brain surgeon. I'm just going to put it that way, but wonderful. And he got saved and he started reading the Bible. And most of the time when people start reading the Bible, it's good. For this guy, it was a little dangerous. And he reads, he reads in Matthew 5 where Jesus says, to lust in your heart is to commit adultery. You know the passage? I, I'm not lying at all. Here's what he came to me and he goes, Chris, I've been lusting. I might as well go ahead and do it. God, and, well, I said, well, if, if, you madden your heart, go ahead and kill them too, right? Isn't that, that's not what God means at all. There's different social consequences to being mad at somebody versus killing them. Lust and versus adultery. But what God knew, what gets in your mind will come out in your life. Guard your heart. Guard your kid's heart. Help guard your spouse's heart. Cedric Miller is a pastor in a church that's smaller than ours. And he said that during a six-month period, he had 20 couples that were, were going through serious marital problems. I don't know how he found this out. I guess he just fronted them out. Every one of the cases, one of the partners admitted they had reconnected with an old boyfriend or old girlfriend or old husband or old wife on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, on something, and then they started interacting with them and they got tied up with them. Cancel your stinking accounts if that's happening. Does your spouse have all your passwords? 
If your spouse does not have your passwords, they should have all your passwords. Somebody say amen. Oh, that was so weak. Okay, let me rephrase that. For those of you who work in the CIA and have top secret clearance, you guard your passwords. Now, I'm going to repeat this, and I want, some, I want some vocal support for a brother. Let your spouse, if you get really close to your boyfriend or girlfriend, maybe. I mean, like you're going to get married close. Let them have your passwords. Amen? See, the only reason I wouldn't want her to have my password is I'm stinking, hiding stuff from her. She can help. I can help. You guard each other's hearts. Accountability is a wonderful thing unless you're trying to do stuff you shouldn't. Run from sexual sin. This next point. Run from it. Chapter 5, verse 8. Keep your way far from her or him. Do not go near the door of her house. We won't look at 1 Corinthians six eighteen again, but it says flee from sexual immorality. How many of you are like this? And I know many of you are because I know I can be like this. Here's sin, and you don't want to sin, but sometimes you like to see how tough you are, right? And so you'll go right here, right? I would never eat that chocolate cake because that would be gluttony if I ate the whole chocolate cake. And then two hours and 15 pounds later... You've done it. See, that's what we do with sexual sin. Well, I'm just going to lay in the bed with them and visit. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just going to watch TV. Dad, we were just in the park. We were out in the pasture just looking at the stars. Yeah. It was raining, son. (laughs) Don't (laughs) run, run from it. Run from it. And unless unless you're just wanting to get in it, run from it. Run from sexual sin. That's great advice from G.O.D. himself. Number five, you married people, write this down. If you're married, you have a great sex life with your spouse. I told some people after the first service, go home and apply the sermon today. (laughs) We will, pastor. See, here's the problem, man. We've been prudish in our marriages, and and it, it doesn't help anything. Dr. Bernard Green a medical doctor, but a guy who's worked with a lot of couples said in his study, 70% of marriages where there's an affair, there's a sexual dissatisfaction. Now, I, I don't believe that's an excuse. I'm not trying to give anybody an excuse. But man, your, your marriage is the only place your spouse has the, the legal right place to express themselves in sex. Make that happen. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 3 through 5, it says, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. That sounds like prison, doesn't it? That's bad wording. And likewise, the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have the authority over her own body. I'll explain that. But the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body. But the wife does. Then it goes on. I won't read it. I'll paraphrase it. But it basically says, hey, unless you both agree for, an ex- for a time not to have sex, for spiritual reasons, don't. But then don't make that too long or you're going to cause problems. Well, like God's saying here, he's not saying that you, you take advantage of your wife's body or she takes advantage of yours, but that you are married, you are one flesh, and that you need to meet each other's needs. Your sex life should be great in marriage. Don't use sex as a weapon either, by the way. Lastly, live knowing God knows what's going on in your sex life. Oh, 
I'm going to read verse 21 to you. For a man's ways are before the Lord, and he ponders all his past. Great verse to learn, applies to everything in your life, but it certainly, in context, is talking about sex. So when you're, when you're looking at pornography, when you're involved sexually with your boyfriend or girlfriend, or you're thinking about having an affair, whew, this is tough. God's there. God's not missing it. I don't know about you, but some of that helps scare me straight. God knows what's going on. Past is behind you. The day and tomorrow is ahead of you. I want to challenge you right now. Make God choices moving forward. Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, I just I hope that you will take seriously what the Lord says and that you will abide by it. You will decide to live it out. If you're not a Christian, your, your problem is ultimately not sexual. It's, it's a Jesus thing. If you're ready today to give your life to Christ, pray with me. If you're sincere, pray and say, Jesus, I am a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. And Jesus, I believe you're God's son and that you died and arose for me. Come into my heart. And I surrender my life to you.